power on. Legendary films and TV shows. Or just pure shit. The legendary host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. Sovereign at the movies. Friends, we are gathered here today in front of my GPD micro PC <laughs> to have a little fun. <laughs> well, I might get heated, admittedly. Uh, I, I might, because <laughs> boy, do I have thoughts on this one. <laughs> and they're probably not the same thoughts that other uh, uh, critics have had. But it's time for another Sovereign at the Movies, uh, as I've promised. And uh, we're going to go over one that uh, has had a tumultuous ride to getting released, which really seems to be the case with just about every DC extended universe, as in the DCEU uh, 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 movie series. Really, just about every movie's had it had a long ride, except for maybe Shazam. Shazam's the one that went off without a hitch. Not unironically, I get the sense that the Black Adam movie uh, will also basically go off without a hitch. But that's more because of The Rock uh, <laughs> being just the, you know, the consummate professional that he is, uh, that I'm sure he's going to make sure that movie delivers and delivers in a timely fashion. But the movie we're going to discuss was not delivered in a timely fashion whatsoever. Um, and understandably, like, let's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sympathy for the devil here. Uh, we are talking about Wonder Woman 1984 uh, by Patty Jenkins, the sequel to what I consider to be one of the greatest comic book movies ever made, uh, that being the original Wonder Woman from 2017, of course, starring Gal Gadot. Um, in, in case you didn't, get it from what I just said. Uh, I really, really liked the first Wonder Woman movie from 2017. Um, I guess it would make sense for me to give you a little history uh, of the Golden Stallion and Wonder Woman. Uh, no, it's not that kind of history. <laughs> um, but Wonder Woman is a, you know, of course, very famous comic book character, one of the uh, the trinity, as it were, within DC Comics, uh, you know, that being herself, Batman, Superman, you know, basically the entire DC universe hangs on those three characters. Despite the very strange nature of, I don't know, like, and I get it, it's because of the TV shows, the popularity of The Flash or Green Arrow, which in the comic books 
always second fiddle. Like they were just always secondary characters. Um, frankly, anybody, <laughs> what, uh, I could get into a side tangent here. Um, and we will get into it. The side tangent would have been about how comic book live action, comic book creations, specifically live action, comic book creations, like movies, TV shows, live action, not animated, animated movies, different animal, um, have nothing to do with the comic books, nothing. Okay. And, and I don't go into watching or expecting from these movies, uh, or TV shows, anything related to the comic books. We'll get into that very subject over wonder woman, 1984, uh, because even though I know that in my reasoning mind says, Brian, don't expect much. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but ultimately, especially for hardcore comic book fans, um, you know, it's really all about that or for DC fans. Anyway, it's usually you're well, unless you're into like the green lantern core, that's kind of a different animal as well. Uh, usually it sits somewhere in that big three. Um, and for good reason, they are great characters, tremendous characters, uh, that you can do a lot of, uh, a lot of really deep drama, uh, and fun and exciting and sometimes horrifying, uh, uh, things with, you know, because their characters with so much cachet and myself, I've been reading the big three for most of my life basically up until about a year into new 52, um, new 52, of course, is the major reboot that was done. Um, oh, wow. Almost 10 years ago now. Uh, of course, then that reboot got rebooted too and turned into rebirth and then blah, blah. And it's all just a fucking mess. And I can't really read DC comics anymore uh, or Marvel for that fact. I don't want you to think somehow one's better than the other. I mean, you know, pre new 52, I would have said, oh, DC Comics is far and away uh, the better company, like Marvel's for children. And, you know, and, and DC Comics is, is for, you know, people that, um, you know, might not be wearing diapers or might be wearing diapers, but they're depends, you know. So, but, uh, but I mean, you know, Marvel was just, was just that, that, that much of a, a no, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of kidding <laughs> though. I am not the person who, who originally like said, I mean, yeah, I, I said them in a funny way, but that, that kind of statement is very commonplace amongst longtime comic book fans. Um, in fact, really to, to, to grasp this, to, to understand the X-Men, why were the X-Men such a big fucking deal in the nineties? It's because the X-Men were able to, in the nineties, especially were able to kind of break out from, you know, Marvel's kiddiedom. Okay. They were able to break out from that and be really deadly serious. Like much of what DC comics, uh, you know, was, was able to achieve. Now DC comics, seriousness came from the fact that they really treated their comic book characters like Greek gods. And so there was just this general level of epicness. I'm getting into a much larger comic book history lesson than I expected to, but basically the only reason Marvel survived at all minus the Disney buyout was entirely because of the X-Men. Okay. Um, like the, and, and I mean, I read X-Men right and left all the way up through Grant Morrison's run with new X-Men, uh, up to 
well, I, I guess like even X-Force, right? When they did the, the rebranded team, when you had, you know, Psylocke and Wolverine and X-Force and everything. I mean, the, the whole mutant saga is like the most grown up fucking thing Marvel's ever had and probably the best thing they've ever done. Um, I still read Marvel comic books growing up. I, I mean, I've talked about, you know, my passion for Iron Man long before there was ever an Iron Man movie. I'm not going to go over that history again. Uh, I mean, I was wearing an Iron Man tie when people had no fucking idea who Iron Man was. So, but we live in, <laughs> I'm all over the place here. Okay. So yeah, I've been re let, let's, let's recycle. Let's, let's get back here. The, I've been reading the big three for a long time, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Um, and I've been a big fan of all three. Uh, and I do think that they have basically the greatest stories ever told in green lantern being a slight exception. They they've, they have like the greatest stories, you know, just ever out of any comic book character or characters. Uh, a story I've told a few times on the show is that when I was a kid, you know, six, seven years old, um, I remember like going to kindergarten and everything, or, you know, you know how it is. Little kids get asked all the time. So what do you want to be when you grow up little Johnny? Well, little Brian, when little Johnny or little Billy were saying, oh, I want to be a fireman or I want to be an astronaut, both laudable things to be, by the way, uh, I had a very simple answer. And that is, I want to be Batman. <laughs> and I was serious as a heart attack when I said that at that age. That's what I wanted to be. Now, part of that was inspired, yes, by the comic books, which at the time were really dealing with some, I mean, you had, you know, Death of Jason Todd. Uh, I mean, you had some pretty, or even like the Vampire Trilogy, you had some pretty deep stuff going on with Batman. Um, but for me, Batman was more admitted, ironically, you know what I was just saying about TV shows. Ironically, Batman for me at the time was more about Adam West. It was more about the bright night than the dark night. Uh, because I watched the Batman TV show from the sixties over and over and over again, because it ran on syndication basically every day at like 3 PM. Um, and then, you know, I get a little older and sci-fi channel becomes, you know, a thing that enters my life and, and saves me. You know, <laughs> it wasn't Jesus. Oh no. The sci-fi channel saved my ass. If anyone could ever recreate that magic, that was the sci-fi channel, man, the time we'd be having anyway. <laughs> uh, it's not possible because the greats are gone. They're dead. And there's really nothing other than maybe the expanse. There's nothing really, you know, exciting or that I would really want to call science fiction getting made today. But Whatever we're again, another total side tangent, uh, but the sci-fi channel used to replay a lot of shows from the sixties and seventies when it first started out in the mid nineties. And, uh, one of the things that they would play, of course, they'd play like incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, an incredible show, uh, no pun intended there. And they would play wonder woman and I watched wonder woman and it felt very much like the sixties Batman. And it was, it wasn't a sequel show to it, but it was certainly trying to recapture some of the sixties, uh, Batman's success. And I think it did so. And Linda Carter was phenomenal. Uh, she was everything you'd expect out of, uh, the character of wonder woman brought to life. She really was. Uh, and she is absolutely the, the archetype 
in many ways, the, I mean, well, these terms are, are a little bit inter- interchangeable, a little bit, but I mean, the prototype, like every from here to the end of time, and there is no end of time. So whatever, from here into forever, from here into eternalism, how about that? If you want to go with a the time theory from here into eternalism, every w- live action wonder woman, every wonder woman, regardless of what type is going to be based is going, or is going to be compared to Linda Carter fact of life because she had what I call the three P's. She had presence, poise, and precision. That precision one is the hard part. (laughs) Okay. But you believed what Linda Carter was doing on the screen because of, I mean, did she have, you know, a look that compared to what was in the comic? Sure. Absolutely. And that's great. But she had the precision where even if, you know, she didn't look like she could throw a car, she had the precision of movement that comes from her, you know, her own abilities. She had the precision of movement that made it all instantly believable. It's very hard to find. It used to be not hard to find. Okay. When, you know, back before, really before the 1980s or so, um, and in the eighties, you still had some like, you know, action stars, like your Stallone's Van Damme's, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger's and whatever, basically before the, you know, around the seventies and before the seventies, you had to actually have like to be in a, in a, uh, in a TV show or a movie you had to have and be a, or be a, a big part in them. You had to have talent. Like you had to have real fucking talent. You had to have abilities. Nobody was going to lip sync for you. Okay. If you were required to sing, you better have been able to sing. Okay. Otherwise you weren't getting the part. Sorry, Sally. Uh, whatever, you know, whatever the, the, the part called for, you needed to do yourself. Yes, there were stunt people, but usually that was only for the most extreme cases and stuff where your face couldn't dream of be, you know, of being seen. Okay. Unless you're William Shatner, but you know, as long as you know, it would be William Shatner, if it was a kissing scene, he insisted on doing those himself. People will get that joke anyway. So you had to, you had to deliver the goods back then. Okay. You, you couldn't just be, you know, a mouth breather and get in a film uh, like is possible today. But the wonder woman TV series, bottom line, that went three seasons in the seventies, I think it is and was and is tremendous. Uh, I mean, I just loved watching that uh, because really it felt like more of the DC universe that the sixties Batman TV series uh, created effectively. And I mean, how fortunate we were that just a few years ago, uh, DC comics, and these were comics I could read because they weren't based in the DC universe of the comic books proper. Um, you know, we did get that Batman 66 wonder woman, 77, uh, crossover finally, which was a fucking brilliant comic book series. So, you know, that, that's why I I really loved, uh, you know, love that, um, wonder woman would go on in the nineties to become an incredibly extreme character in the aughts would end up getting written by God. Uh, no, really J Michael Straczynski. I'm not kidding. Uh, and (laughs) it was just an always, always a, a very enjoyable, uh, character to read. And the fact that she would actually deal with the Greek gods that much of DC comics, uh, superheroes were patterned after, just seemed to make a logical sense when you were reading it and made for very exciting stories. She was also uh, a major part of one of my favorite comic book events back when those were actually rare. Uh, and she was also in one of my favorite comic book series, uh, which went, went for a while, but 
you know, most people don't really think about, but of course, I guess that's sometimes I think the reason I exist is just to remember the things that, that, that apparently other people can't, but, uh, but she was in the, uh, Eclipso, uh, series, the darkness and that, which was awesome because she went evil in it. And and that was, I mean, you know, taking on Superman and everything. I mean, that those are some badass moments. Um, also, uh, she would be basically the lead for justice league Europe. Um, which was the aforementioned comic book series that a lot of people don't really remember, but that I, I thought was just absolutely brilliant with, you know, Power Girl and Dr. Light and and so on. Now, all of that aside, and I continued to read Wonder Woman again for many years, and especially when Straczynski took over. I mean, that was that was awesome. Um, I would later in life, much later in life, really when the rest of the world found out who was actually the creator of wonder woman, because she wonder woman is a character. And I know I, t- I probably talked about this when I reviewed the 2017 wonder woman film, wonder woman is a character that is u- somewhat unique in comic books in that she was created with a purpose. And the purpose was not to sell comic books. The purpose was to forward a psychological agenda. Uh, the psychological agenda and basically the philosophy really, uh, or maybe, maybe that's what I should say more of a philosophical agenda, though. I think Marston would have maybe called it psychological, Um, but it was the agenda of William Moulton Marston, who is one of the people uh, behind the creation of the, um, the lie detector, right? Now, how much, you know, it was his ideas compared to his wives or, uh, or his mistresses, or, I mean, boy, that's a big history. Um, you know, that's up to debate, but anyway, he had, of course, uh, what's known as disc theory, which was basically his, his new psychology or his philosophy. Um, I'm not going to rehash disc theory here, but it is something that I am incredibly intrigued by, uh, and that my, shall I say my own philosophy has been heavily colored by, especially over the past few years. Um, I mean, I, I can't tell you how big of a fan I am. Uh, of course, if you want to learn more about that, there's a movie you can go and watch that. I mean, and it's a bit of a dramatization and doesn't include everything. There's also books out there that you can read about William Moulton Marston, but you can watch uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women uh, if you want to you know, learn more about that. Uh, another fantastic film. Regardless, uh, I am a fan of not just, you know, Wonder Woman, but also really the creator and some of perhaps what was trying to get put on display with the character. Uh, And frankly, I applaud this use of fiction to forward a philosophy. Um, I think that that is something that actually gets done a lot, but doesn't get done a lot by the right people. Just saying. (laughs) And it really, really doesn't. Certainly not by anyone in Hollywood, um, except for like maybe Justin Lin. But <laughs> anyway, look, I say all of this. I've spent the past 18 minutes explaining all of this to you so that you know, just in case you're not a longtime listener of Sovereign Tech, but so that you know, I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Okay. And that I am heavily invested in this character. I am not somebody fresh out of the womb or off the street watching the movie wonder woman, 1984 
And just like, Ooh, wonder woman. I've heard about that. I wonder what this is all about. Maybe this is like that 2017 film or whatever. No, I have, there's a lot in the background, a lot of baggage, uh, for me. And most of it, frankly, positive, including the previous film by Patty Jenkins. Now, what about this movie? No, <laughs> no, not, not positive, but it's not, it's not bad for a lot of the reasons that I've read why people think that it's bad. A lot of people think, Oh, it's too long. Oh, it's, you know, whatever it's, it's cheesy or it's this, though. Those aren't my problems. Okay. Like I, I love cheese and, um, I have no problem with the movie being long, even though at the same time, I can certainly appreciate that a shorter film is sometimes called for another popular complaint about this film is that it suffers from some kind of curse. Not, not that it's the only movie that has some kind of curse on it, like opening the tomb of Tutankhamun or something, you know, and, and, and some bullshit happening to Howard Carver, but no, it suffers from supposedly the only good superhero movies are origin stories and that any sequels usually fail or fall apart. Um, every time I hear that, I mean, that's just, that's just patently untrue. It's completely untrue. And my easiest example to go to is not the DC EU, but the DC AU, the DC animated universe of films, particularly the animated universe of films. Films is the particular, uh, I mean, granted, I, like Batman, the animated series is awesome. Superman, the animated series was awesome. I wish we had gotten a Wonder Woman show, you know, Wonder Woman animated series. That would have been fantastic. But the DC AU, not EU, but AU, every one of those movies. I mean, and in fact, a lot of them do play right off of each other. Bing, 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 bing. They take place. They reference each other. You know, they're sequels in a sense. Uh, almost every one of those is amazing. I should say almost everyone. There are some that are not, but most of them are brilliant when they come out. And so that's just, that's horseshit to say that somehow the only way that superheroes work in, you know, in a movie is when it's an, an origin story is utter nonsense. Also, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy calls bullshit on that too. I actually would argue there are many superhero series of li even live action films that calls bullshit uh, on that whole idea. So fuck people for saying that sort of thing. So Wonder Woman 1984, though, of course, coming off the backs of the 2017 film, uh, had very high expectations behind it. There's no doubt about that. Did it live up to those? No. Uh, could any movie live up to those expectations? That's a question to ask right now. That's the episode one syndrome, and that's a real thing. But that's another story. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984, of course, originally was supposed to be coming out in 2020, would end up getting significantly delayed over and over again. In fact, not just significantly delayed, but entire uh, marketing campaigns to the point of Wonder Woman being on the front of Doritos packages, which if that doesn't call bullshit on marketing, you know, I don't know what does. Um, <laughs> because let me assure you something. If you want to be Wonder Woman, eating Doritos is probably not part of that recipe. Anyway, <laughs> uh, or even if you just want to be, you know, Steve Trevor, right? You want to be Chris Pine's character. You probably don't want to eat Doritos to look like Chris Pine. Uh, anyway, so this was a movie that, I mean, like millions of dollars were really lost over the fact that the campaign really had started running and then, you know, the pandemic hit. 
So this would get delayed until March of 2021. I mean, you know, almost basically like a year or so after it was originally supposed to come out and it would get a dual release both in theaters uh, as well as uh, on HBO Max, like many Warner Brothers films um, are being released this year. In fact, you know, you heard it here first, folks. Um, so right now there is big talk about the Warner Brothers split where like Discovery Plus and Warner Brothers are merging or whatever, like, or, and, and other companies are getting split off elsewhere. It's this really big, big mess. I would not be surprised if this, if AT&T's play of splitting Warner Brothers is to negate the contract that said we will dual release films in theaters and online, you know, or, and streaming. And so that they can just do theatrical releases for Dune matrix four, and maybe some others, just a theory on my part, but I'm tossing it out there for posterity, uh, because watch it happen anyway. <laughs> let's just look, it's just the oldest trick in the book. You want to break a contract, H- have an acquisition. It's easy. Uh, so moving on. So this movie, uh, you know, hotly anticipated, but uh, also, you know, constantly delayed until it finally did uh, come out. Um, I did not see it until it came out on Blu-ray. Now, just to just to explain that I was not going into this movie expecting it to suck, even after I listened to everybody in March, a lot of, or listened to a lot of people in March talk about how it did. I was still like, yeah, I I, I can I see your arguments. I hear you, but I can imagine you're wrong. And you know what? I'm still right about them being wrong, but that doesn't mean that the movie ended up being good. But to explain that I went into this and that, you know, like I was invested, I bought the Blu-ray sight unseen. In fact, not just sight unseen. I bought the Blu-ray in, in the uh, uh, environment, in the climate, I should say, in the climate of that this movie by by most people's uh, uh, standing was bad. Okay. And I even heard from like Wonder Woman fans, like, you know, hardcore Wonder Woman fans that this movie was not good. Okay. So, but I still picked up the Blu-ray. Okay. Again, I'm giving this movie every chance in the world. You understand? And I put the money down, but the movie did come out finally in March and to not so great fanfare eventually. And I imagine there's going to be a third film. And we know some details uh, about that, but certainly I'm going to walk into that third film with a lot of trepidation as to where this one, I was walking in with a lot of excitement, not just because the 2017 Wonder Woman was such a great movie, but because this movie was taking place during an amazing time period, that being the 1980s in the United States. Uh, You know, and again, that's where the name of the movie comes from because it occurred in 1984. And, to start getting into the film, I guess this is the most amazing thing is that, and this has nothing to do with the pandemic because obviously it was getting made before it was made before then. Uh, it's incredible to me how a film that very much was, I mean, it was a love letter to the eighties, but then at the same time, it was trying to nitpick or insult some of the decade of greeds, uh, ideas, popular cultural memes or, or, or mores going around, uh, I guess you could say it's amazing how this movie looked like, you know, it was showing us not 1984, but 2084, but that's really just because 
when you look at the eighties compared to now, supposedly now we're in this high tech future. That's a lie. That, that, that's a, mis that's, that, that's, that's a misconception. Okay. The eighties was far more futuristic and dare I argue high tech ultimately were the computers as powerful. No, but I think pound for pound, you were surrounded by more technology than you are today. And fortunately it was technology that was actually very, you know, was, was, uh, pervasive, but dumb at the same time as in it didn't identify you. <laughs> okay. Unlike every technology, uh, today. And I think that this is a fact because, you know, I'm not just like, this isn't just a perception of mine because now everything's in your, on your smartphone, right? All the technology's there as to where in the eighties, you didn't have smartphones. And so the technology had to be like in everything else and kind of around you. Okay. So, I mean, other than 5g chips getting put into bricks that, you know, buildings are built out of, um, I suppose that's going to change things, but compared to right now in 2020 or in 2021 compared to 1984, it was a far more high tech society in 1980s America than, you know, 2020s America or, you know, 20 teens America which is an amazing thing to see. And I'm sure that that created some cognitive dissonance for a lot of viewers because they're being told that this happened in the past. This happened, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Okay. Um, but then it looks more futuristic than today, right? Cause you're in malls and you're in all these, you know, amazing buildings and everything seemed like the sky was the limit as to where today. Now the limit is, you know, not even a foot in front of your face by a glowing screen. So I think that fucked with people's heads. It didn't fuck with mine. Um, and I think really Patty Jenkins did a great job in putting the 1980s on display, like an accurate job, albeit cheesy, but then the eighties in and of themselves were, I mean, it wasn't just a cheesy fucking time. It was a greedy time as well, no doubt. And that certainly gets its play in this movie as well. But I thought that that aspect of it was very, very well done. Um, so credit there. And really, you know, we don't have to spend much time on it. The overall production of the film from the acting to, uh, the direction, the special effects, the music, we are going to talk about the music more later, but as a cohesive whole, it all worked. It was, you know, all of the, the technicals of this movie were a 10 out of 10. I have no issues with the acting direction, anything like that. The writing different story. <laughs> okay. Uh, or at least the pacing, perhaps different story, but there's some of the use of characters and philosophy behind this that did not work for me. And were a lot of my major problems with the film. So let's get into some of that now. Now, uh, Gal Gadot is, I mean, she, she's a fine actress. I don't really have any problem with her. Um, she does well as wonder woman, you know, like it, it, it works. Okay. Uh, certainly worked far better in the 2017 film, but, um, but you know, she does the job. Uh, is she Linda Carter? No, but she does the job. Chris Pine, just a, a top-notch actor. Um, I thought his role as Steve Trevor, despite there's the real concerns and I hear them, um, about, you know, him inhabiting this guy's body. And then, you know, Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman having sex, uh, doesn't that amount to some kind of rape? And he, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, and 
Patty, what's going on here? Um, anyway, but Chris Pine was, was, was fantastic. Uh, Pedro Pascal. I, I'm really trying to understand everybody's obsession with this guy. You know, uh, I talked about this with my man, Rob, you know, when we were talking to TIE fighter renegades about the Mandalorian, which was a tremendous show, but it was a tremendous show that had nothing to do with Pedro Pascal. Like he didn't, you could have put anybody in that role and it would have worked. Like you did not need Pedro Pascal. I guess his big deal is game of Thrones, but then how you feeling about that season eight? Yeah. Uh, so I don't understand this guy. I think this, frankly, I think the guy sucks. <laughs> okay. Like he's a good actor, but he's not great. And to play a character like Max Lord, this, we need to talk about. So I want to give Patty Jenkins credit for trying to create a villain that has depth. Okay. She did do that. Uh, unfortunately she took a character that has really some amazing stories behind him from, you know, kind of inadvertently not, well, not really inadvertently, but sort of sneakily creating the justice league. We'll put it that way, uh, which would have been an amazing thing to, to, to twist into this movie that you couldn't possibly do because of the backstory that they created, you know, basically that he's like this, you know, sod of an entrepreneur. Uh, you couldn't do it with the backstory that this movie put on display for, for Max Lord. Um, you know, Max Lord's like a badass, like a real badass. He's not somebody that needs any fucking wish stone to make stuff happen. Of course, he's also someone that would later become a metahuman, depending upon which continuity you're talking about. Uh, and he would have a slight ability to control people's minds. I Max Lord is one of those villains. I, you know, even though not a lot of people may know his name, I put him up there with your Lex Luthers, jokers and so on. Uh, and spoiler alert, of course, if you've read the comics over the past decades, you'd know about this spoiler alert. Uh, he has, he gives really wonder woman, one of her darkest moments in comic books when she snaps his neck and kills him uh, because he is basically uh mind controlling Superman into making, this was during the OMAC project in 2005 uh, when she, he is Max is make Max Lord is making Superman think that like his best friends are actually his worst enemies. Uh, as in Max Lord makes Superman think that, uh, uh, Batman is brainiac, you know, and, and so on. And I think he made wonder woman think, uh, think, or, or made Superman think wonder woman was like apocalypse or something. Anyway, it, it was an awesome series and, you know, wonder woman has the lasso of truth on, uh, on max Lord. And she asked him, how can I stop you from controlling Superman? He's like, you'll have to kill me. And holy shit. She does. And like on TV, she snaps his neck in front of the whole world and Batman and Superman basically walk away from her and she's on her own. Dark shit, tremendous drama though. Like I was talking about earlier, right? That, that DC comics can really deliver. You can't do that with, with the DCEU. Like the, I mean, the way that they've created this character of Max Lord, like the backstory they've given him and what he's all about, you're never going to get that great story. And like I said earlier, that's, I get it. I don't expect to see the, like, when I go to see a comic book movie, I expect to see nothing that has anything to do with the fucking comic books. Okay. But it is a shame that you're taking 
a tremendous, you know, just a fantastic villain. And you fuck up his, his, you know, his backstory to where he can't do all the things that made him uh, such a name and, and such a great villain. So it sucks, you know, but I get it. I wasn't expecting that. And in fact, this is interesting. So, uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Max Lord in a minute, but this is interesting. So one of the reasons I love having discs is because even on torrent sites, usually don't get the bonus features. Unless it's like a Star Wars movie, you generally never get the bonus features that exist on the disc. Unless you like torrent an entire 35 gigabyte to 120 gigabyte image of the disc, right? Unless you download an ISO. And hey, you know what? If you've got the fucking hard drive space and the bandwidth where you live to download, you know, those things to have that complete... Satan bless you, man. That's amazing. You know, that you've got the hard drive space to handle 4k like raw dog, 4k, not, 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 you know, HEVC or anything like that. Great. Awesome for you, buddy. But most people don't want, uh, <laughs> not just most people, even, even tech enthusiasts don't want their desks, uh, you know, to be basically lined and laced and stacked with hard drives, uh, that become a, a bigger pile than their fucking desktop machine. Right. Okay. So we buy discs and don't keep the cases, <laughs> but I love buying discs, uh, because, or getting them on disc, uh, because you get all the special features, which hopefully colors, whether it's with director's commentary or something else, but hopefully colors more of what's going on in the film. And did we get some color over what is considered a comic book movie today uh, in these special features on the Wonder Woman 1984 Blu-ray? And that is specifically, they're talking to Jeff Johns, okay, who's, you know, kind of behind, he's sort of the Kevin Feige in in ways um, of much of the DCEU. And, you know, who's been involved in the comic book industry forever, so it's not like he doesn't know, but he basically comes out and says, I mean, I'm not quoting verbatim, but he says that we pulled characters that we could try and squeeze into this story, basically saying that instead of crafting the story around these great characters, how can we change, you know, and and transform and really (laughs) disfigure, uh, in my opinion, how can we disfigure these characters to where they, you know, push our narrative, whatever that happens to be and where they make the story kind of work. Um, like one of the other, you know, there's two villains in this, uh, and again, credit to, you know, credit where it's due. Unlike Marvel movies that spend practically no time minus maybe Thanos, where they spend absolutely no time exploring the backstories of villains and villains are, you know, basically just meaningless fodder. Um, which is part of what makes those movies so horrible and that whole universe really, um, you know, they really Patty Jenkins did take the time to give these villains backstories. Was it executed perfectly? That's another question. You know, there's a lot of debate on that. Uh, and I would argue not really at all, but you know, she did try because cheetahs in it. Right. And, you know, you have the character Minerva and, you know, they, they kind of make that version of cheetah because there's been multiple cheetahs. Um, and you know, bringing the look of cheetah, bringing that to the screen that actually worked, but 
man, I, I just like, I get it. They tried to make, give the villains backstory, but it just, those villains are such powerful characters historically in the comic books themselves. Uh, this movie did not do them any justice. Again, I know I don't go into these expecting it to be, you know, pay any kind of fealty or fidelity, uh, you know, to the comic books, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say that that was really disappointing when you have two great characters like Cheetah would become and like Max Lord has always been in the comic books. So overall, the villains were really disappointing. Um, they just, they could have been so much more, even though they tried to give him a backstory. Again, it was a backstory to try and fit this sort of narrative that Patty Jenkins was clearly pushing a narrative that. I don't think is, is necessarily a bad one. It's basically an anti-greed narrative, but they really didn't do it well. Um, there have been many stories, even <laughs> ironically comic books from the likes of say heavy metal magazine. Uh, and, and I can think of others where, you know, it gets around again, what, what I think is actually a good message. It's just, you know, it's a comic book movie it's meant to have a really broad audience. So there's no way they're going to be able to really drive this home in a, in a meaningful or even uh, logical, well, meaningful and logical. That's good enough uh, way. And that is, you know, what happens when, and I don't care if you're talking about humans in the 1980s or humans today, what would happen if everybody could get everything that they wished for? Because, you know, that's kind of the narrative of this whole thing is around the wish stone, right? That gives you whatever you want, but it takes away what you love most. Uh, really, frankly, it's 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 banal the way it's presented in this, but it's an interesting thing to explore. Just this is not the movie to do that. Wonder, I mean, Wonder Woman, the character could do it, but Hollywood films are not the way to explore that question because they can never go the distance, right? Because you got to get asses in seats or subscribers for HBO max or whatever the fuck the metric is. It has to do with ironically, you're pushing an anti-greed message when the purpose of the funding of your film itself of wonder woman, 19 of WW 84 itself is to make more money. <laughs> it's to feed greedy fucking bastards. Like it's, I, I mean, the ironies, you know, talk about the only thing that's rich here is really the irony. But it's a great question to ask, you know, because imagine people today. I mean, this is something I've explored in some of my own work, stuff that's been released, stuff that hasn't come out yet. You know, imagine people today getting everything that they want. I mean, the earth would basically explode. I think the universe would explode from, you know, because, you know, that idiot next door you know, wants a gigantic yacht and wants all this other horseshit has no idea what they really want. They just want what society tells them to want, but what society tells them to want is a bunch of garbage and, or worse. And, and, and I mean, you're just, you're going to flood the universe with all of this horseshit to say nothing of other things, because also people want certain kinds of relationships and that turns into whole kinds of problems. Um, you know, the fact that people don't get everything that they want is a good thing because people actually don't know what they want inside intrinsically. Okay. People don't know what's actually important. And the movie tries to go there, but it fails. <laughs> like it just, it just really doesn't do 
uh, a good job of exploring that. And because it is a Hollywood big budget film, it cannot, it is not possible to explore that. It's, it's just not, I mean, it tries with some of the commentary and, you know, sometimes it makes an interesting point, but ultimately it fails. And the villains you use to try and tell this story, basically you're supposed to feel bad for them and they're not really villains. They're actually just trying to do good by whatever their metric happens to be, be it their son or whatever. And, and then it doesn't work either because when you, you know, this is ancient storytelling. When you have Bellerophon, the hero, the ultimate hero, you have to have a chimera. Okay. You have to have the ultimate villain. And you've got pretty close to an ultimate hero in the character of Wonder Woman. Okay. You've got your Bellerophon. But if your chimera is not truly a villain, then Bellerophon, you know, comes up kind of cheap. So it, it just, it just doesn't it doesn't deliver on its premise, what it's, what it's trying to do. Um, more things. And actually this is, this is probably the biggest for me. This blew my mind when it happened, not in a good way. Um, I was slack jawed shocked when I heard it. Now in case, uh, I think the most recent episode that I had released was about a video game soundtracks. Look here again, as I've said many times, I know most people just think of me as a metalhead, but I've said over and over again, if soundtracks, film scores, game scores, whatever, if soundtracks were a genre, that's, that would be my top music that, that, that would be, you know, whatever you want to call a fan of that I would be. Okay. Um, I know, you know, film score composers, I mean, I can rattle them off right and left. Uh, I know them better than I know the actors or directors in any given film. You know, I mean, there's a million times where you could talk to me about a movie and I could tell you every, you know, about all the music in it and the composer and everything. And I might not even be able to rattle off an actor <laughs> or, or the director of the film, but I'll know the composer. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how serious I, I, I take, um, soundtracks. So I'm listening to the music a lot in just about anything that I, I happen to take in. Um, and the soundtrack was fine. Hans Zimmer has gotten, I hate to keep reusing the word banal, but he's gotten banal and frankly boring. Um, I've talked about this in recent, uh, you know, bonus episodes that I've, that I've put out in the sovereign tech feed, uh, in the past month or so. And, and I mentioned that I was going to bring it up during wonder woman, 1984. And here we go. So, there is a point, spoiler alert, there is a point where Wonder Woman is able to fly. Now, I don't think this is really a spoiler. I don't think it surprises anybody because, you know, she gets that golden wing suit and all that. We'll talk about that. Um, but there is a point where, and it's supposed to be this high point and very emotional moment and everything. And you know what's coming in the film when you hear Steve Trevor give this little speech about what it's like to fly, because of course, Steve Trevor's a pilot. Um, and so you, you knew it was coming and when it happens, so Hans Zimmer is doing, you know, original music and, uh, and, and using, of course, the wonder woman theme, which at, at key points, which is really well done in the, in the 2017 film. Um, th there, there's a choice of music made in this moment that is, not by Hans Zimmer. That is very, very odd to, to include. And let me say this, let me, let me, let me preface it with this. 
I have used music, big themes, famous, popular themes in my own creative works uh, that are in the Sovereign Tech feed, by the way, um, you know, many times. And I mean, what, you know, the airwolf theme or, or whatever. And people generally, you know, in the creative space, whatever you want to call that, will generally look down upon that act. You know I mean? Yeah, it's one thing to use a track for filler. Sure. Okay. You know, until you get in the actual composer or something, that's fine. Or until you come up with original music, which I also do original music, uh, you know, in my works. And I mean, hell, I have whole albums of original music of mine at Audio of the Ancients, right? AudioTheAncients.xyz if you really want to check it out. Um, no one, and for, for other creatives in my audience, no one can ever criticize you again for doing that. And I don't just, I'm not just talking about rappers sampling or something, right? Because in this major motion picture, which Wonder Woman 1984 is, okay, this is as big as it gets. In this, and, and, and it's not being done by some penny any composer. This is Hans fucking Zimmer, right? Legend in his own time. Sure. He used a full theme, like a full piece of music, not just cues, a full piece of music from a wholly other film by a wholly other composer. That being the movie being he used music from 2007's Sunshine, which is a fantastic sci-fi thriller. I love that movie. Which the music was done. Now, I mean, there's some contention around the music in Sunshine between what is it like? Is it between Crystal Method um, and uh, the actual composer, that being John Murphy? So he has a theme in it called uh, Adagio and D minor. It's, it's actually pretty famous. It gets used in a lot of trailers and everything. Now, it's one thing for it to be used in trailers. It's one thing for pieces of music. Like, I don't know, you watch Airplane 2 and they play the original Battlestar Galactica theme by Stu Phillips. It's funny. It's meant to be funny. It's tongue in cheek. That makes sense. All right. You're, you're parodying. So, of course, you use other people's music to, you know, quickly evoke an effect. Right. But in a full on movie with that also, by the way, was delayed for like a year. So if you just needed more time, you know, to compose a new theme, you had it. But in a full on movie with a full on original score, minus themes used from, you know, the film's prequel uh, or, or previous film, there is no excuse to use a whole other track, a whole other piece of music from a completely unrelated film, completely unrelated. Sunshine's not in the DC universe at all. Sunshine's fuck. It's in the future. It's, I mean, it sure as hell isn't in 1984. Like they're just, they're not related at all. In fact, I don't even think sunshine was made by Warner brothers. I think that was like Fox shirt uh, searchlight. It was, it was almost like an indie film, a great one at that great sci-fi flick. This this is unbelievable. When I heard it, I'm like, wait, really? Is he going to go all the way with that? And, and yeah, he just uses Adagio and D minor the whole time. Um, again, I know, I mean, Adagio in D minor was used in, I mean, it's been used in a lot of trailers. Um, I think it was also used. It was actually in the movie kick-ass from 2010, but kick-ass is a, is basically comedy, right? 
I mean, basically, I know it, it you know can be taken seriously and also based off of a comic book, but it's in that. Um, but because it's kind of a you know kind of kind of a comedy, you know you you can you can let it get away with it, right? Um, there's 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 and and also it's a smaller film. There's no fucking excuse for John Murphy's music to get stolen or ripped or borrowed or whatever you or I don't know, bought. Maybe they, I'm sure they bought it or you know paid a license. Obviously they did. Um, you know, however they want to describe it, you know, for Hans Zimmer, one of the greatest composers ever to, to do that. I think that's bullshit. I, I thought that was cheap and I mean, I get it. I do that, you know, and I know lots of people that do that, that make very serious. I mean, uh, fuck. I mean, speaking of Hans Zimmer, like when, uh, Richard Hatch, Speaking of Galactica and Hans Zimmer, it's kind of funny how this all came together. Richard Hatch in the late nineties, early aughts, he was trying to schlep around. This is before sci-fi channel came out with that. Their bullshit reboot of Battlestar Galactica. That was a flaming turd. Um, he was putting out something that was the exact opposite of a flaming turd. It was gorgeous. Uh, it was going to be called Battlestar Galactica, the second coming. And it was going to be a real sequel series to the phenomenal, um, you know, original Battlestar Galactica from the seventies. And he used in the trailer that he made and this trailer is awesome. You can watch it on YouTube. I, I love it. I still get chills every time I watch it. The, uh, uh, you know, goosebumps, the whole thing, the trailer, um, in it, he used the music from crimson tide. Okay. Now granted it's a trailer, so you can kind of let him get away with that, but like, okay, it's fine. And it works and it's awesome. And it sets the tone and it's fucking epic as shit. And you know, you just love it. Right. I get it. Okay, but that was an independent little trailer that fucking Richard Hatch was making. Okay, so of course he used a temp track or whatever, you know, like you understand. This is one of the most expensive movies ever made in Wonder Woman 1984. And they are taking whole other music from a whole other movie in a whole other, not even in the same universe, not even close. Like, I know I keep repeating myself, but I, I'm just, I'm blown away and nobody's complaining about it which is also weird, probably because the bulk of the people that have seen this film don't even remember the movies that came out last year, unless the one that came out this year is a sequel to it. So maybe that's why they remember Wonder Woman. Otherwise, you know, they have the attention span of a newt. And they have no idea. I mean, I've seen people write about it because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't insane, but I knew what I was hearing because I've listened to it, you know, like on my Plex server all the time, you know, specifically the sunshine soundtrack. Cause it's that good. Now, like I said, there's some contention around the music on that, I, you know, like, okay, wait, did John Murphy make it? Was it crystal meth or maybe it was like, whoever the fuck it was one of those, you know, techno house groups. Um, anyway, I, I will never, ever, ever, ever. And I didn't anyway, but I wouldn't, I will never feel bad about using someone else's music in my creative work. And really, I mean, this should just rip the fucking bandaid off of the bullshit that is copyright. I know they paid for it, but still like, okay, if we're to the point now that, you know, even in the biggest of movies, we're just going to lift whole other tracks of music from whole other films. Like I, I, I would do it, but just in, in the grand scheme, again, you were, this was always considered like something you just didn't do, you know, like, like imagine, um, 
I don't know. Pick, pick a, pick a movie. Fuck. Uh, imagine in Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat movie. Imagine if they used, you know, Clendathu drop from Starship Troopers by Basil Poldery. And imagine that just appeared in the film out of nowhere. Wouldn't that like throw you off? And isn't that like kind of weird? It's like, wait, yeah, wait, this is Mortal Kombat. Like, I know what this is supposed to be. What the hell? And I just, I, I think it's crazy and no one can ever, 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 ever rip on you for using music from other franchises or other movies, you know, for your own work, because if wonder woman and Hans Zimmer did it, everybody can do it. And you know, maybe what happened is look, I've pointed this out. I have said in the past on sovereign tech that mathematically we're going to have to reach a point outside of developing new instruments, which there are new instruments that still get made to this day, you know, musical instruments outside of that, there will, there comes a time where you can only arrange so many notes in so much time to where you can mathematically no longer make new music, at least music as we traditionally know it. And that that time would come and you know, the fuck what, maybe that time has just started to come. And Hans Zimmer said, I got nothing. Let's buy somebody else's music that nobody else will remember. I mean, to be fair, like his music, uh, well, let's see, for example, like, I mean, there's plenty of Hans Zimmer stuff. Like I mentioned, you know, the theme from Crimson Tide has been used over and over again. Uh, like journey to the line from, from the thin red line, that movie, that track has been used everywhere. I mean, to the point that I know like Hans Zimmer basically calls it, uh, like he calls it his forbidden cue. Because he get he just got so tired of directors asking him, "Hey, could you make you know make us make us uh, a track like Journey to the Line for my movie?" He's just tired of doing it. So I know there's that. I mean, even also you know his work with uh, an Inception in the Christopher Nolan movie Inception uh, towards the end of that film that's been reused a million times. Like I, I get it, I get it, I know that that happens. But then maybe that's it. Is that just we've gotten to that point, or we're starting really starting to get there? I think the pop industry has gotten there. The pop industry is effectively, uh, it's tonally incestuous to create a term tonally incestuous where all the hits basically all borrow from each other now. And they're all written by the same four guys. Anyway, I'm not kidding about that nor exaggerating. And frankly, I think ultimately, I think it hurt the power of this film. I would have done some kind of epic rendition of like the wonder woman theme slowed down when she gets into this moment where she flies, I get it that it's supposed to be a big moment. Let Wonder Woman own it. Now it feels like John Murphy and Sunshine owns it. And so it doesn't work for me on that level either. That was such a big mistake, such a big mistake. And no one, no one is addressing it. Like Hans Zimmer's not coming out and talking about why they did it. As far as I've seen Patty Jenkins, and I looked, Patty Jenkins isn't coming out and talking about why that was done. Um, that was just a horrible, horrible choice. Again, ultimately, I don't have a problem with it overall, but the problem I have with it is that I've been told my whole life, you don't do that. Make your own music. Well, Hans Zimmer doesn't have to. Patty Jenkins doesn't have to. Wonder Woman doesn't have to. Why should I? But I know I've been doing a lot of complaining. Let's talk about some of the good, because there was actually some good in this film. Like I said, the presentation of the 1980s uh, stylistically was exceptionally well done and it looked like the future 
Um, and I already gave a whole diatribe on that, so I'm not going to spend much more time there. Uh, I, I do feel like, well, I mean, this isn't getting into the positive again, positive that the villains had a backstory and a developed one, not positive because you had two great villains that now you've ruined their, the ability to use the stories that the great stories that exist in comic book history, that these characters were such a central part of. That's a shame that we're not, we're probably never going to get those stories. Um, but that's okay. Again, ultimately, because I know that comic book movies have zero to do with comic books and comic book storylines. Um, I thought that, well, I'll tell you the best part of this movie <laughs> had to do with none other than Linda Carter herself. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess on that. Um, but you hear, so the golden suit with the wing suit that, uh, you know, that wonder woman wears in the film that you saw, like on a lot of the promotional materials and everything. Um, I thought that that, that looked fine. It worked. It did what it did. Uh, so you find out that that is the armor of Asteria, who was a, uh, an Amazonian that stayed behind as the rest of the Amazonians went to Themyscira. She stayed behind to fend off the armies of man and everything. And so she was, you know, nobody knows what happened to her, blah, blah, blah. Basically, you know, her armor is, is found, but Asteria, nobody knows what happened to her in like more or less a credit sequence. You have Asteria appear and she like saves this little girl from a pole falling, falling on her. And when she turns around, it's Linda Carter as Asteria. Now I thought that was awesome. It's like, okay, let's give credit where it's due. That's she's the original. And in a way that was almost saying she is the original, like that's almost giving credit. And you know, if you wanted to twist things a little bit, you could say, well, the 77 wonder woman and all of that, like maybe that was Asteria taking out just like wonder woman put on Asteria's uniform. Maybe Asteria had a similar wonder woman esque outfit, you know, that, that she wore and was saving the day, you know, Hey, why not? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you wanted to twist that, but I don't really care to, and I'll just stick with my wonder woman, you know, TV series on Blu-ray and watch that far more than I'd ever watch wonder woman, 1984. Um, but it was brilliant to bring in Linda Carter and, you know, talk about that presence, precision and poise. Uh, Linda Carter absolutely delivered that. Uh, even in that small amount of scene. And basically I think she's, she just stole the whole movie <laughs> that end credit sequence. I mean, the other part that was good was everything that happened on the like that, that was really, really well done. And just like in the 2017 film, I thought that that was like the best part of the movie also was getting all of that and seeing, you know, there's just this veritable paradise um, on display. Uh, I enjoyed that also in this film. Um, and if, if having that meant that the movie had to be two and a half hours, uh, I'll take that two and a half hour film. So I was totally on board with that. So basically between that and hysteria, if you could just like add that in and make an extended version of the 2017 wonder woman, you've got a great movie on your hands, right? And just cut out all the 1984 bullshit, <laughs> you know, cause it just wasn't that good. It wasn't even like that exciting. And again, you know, you could have done so much more with the villains and you, and if you didn't have to play by Hollywood's, you know, keep it stupid rules, that's, that's their rule. Keep it stupid. Um, 
or, you know, maybe like Hollywood actually has the opposite kiss rule where it's not keep it simple, stupid. It's keep it stupid, simple. And, <laughs> or maybe they just change the, 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 uh, the tense there. But anyway, um, you know, you, you couldn't get there, you know, like, like it just, it couldn't happen. And so it really didn't work. But I mean, seeing Linda Carter and building her into the mythology here, I thought was just a, a brilliant move and one that you could definitely bring, you know, that, that character of Asteria in more. If we get perhaps more justice league films, will I be reviewing Zack Snyder's justice league? You bet your ass. Uh, I'd be fine with that. So, you know, there's, there's some hope there. Now, I mean, we do know we're going to get another sequel, uh, that is not going, as far as I understand it, it will not take place in the past. Patty Jenkins has said she doesn't want to deal with historical films anymore. Gal Gadot, I think said similar, um, and also there is a spinoff movie that Patty Jenkins is producing, which is all about the Amazons, you know, in Themyscira. Hopefully my hope is, is that, I mean, I'm fine with both films again, not too excited about the third wonder woman film, but I am on board for the, the, the Amazonian film, you know, on Themyscira, but I hope it's all on Themyscira. Like don't, don't bother, you know, don't, don't go to the world of men, right? <laughs> like, like we don't need to see, you know, I, I'm watching movies for fantasy, for escapism. I, I really don't, you don't need to bring us into, I don't know, them dealing with whatever, make it high budget, make it on the mascara, you know, have it be some kind of invasion on the mascara. And I think you're in for a great time, uh, you know, basically an Amazonian Braveheart or something along those lines sold, give it to me. Um, so you know, and I don't know exactly all of the numbers and it's hard to tell what the numbers are. You know, how did Wonder Woman 1984 really perform based upon its streaming release? But I can't imagine it's done very well. Uh, and I just can't see people walking away from this movie really inspired. I just can't imagine it. And and it does, you know, to use the term problematic, it has problematic moments uh, within it that you know, Patty Jenkins, I think has tried to, to address, but I got to wonder what the fuck they were thinking, especially with, you know, the potential rape of the, you know, the character that, uh, Steve Trevor or, you know, the, the, the guy that Steve Trevor inhabits temporarily to exist, uh, you know, in the eighties. I mean, that's, mm. oh, and I will say, okay. Uh, the way now it kind of came out of nowhere. But the way that they introduced Wonder Woman's invisible jet was very well done. Nice job, because that that's I that's a hard trick to pull off and have make a lot of sense. But they did it and it made sense and it, and it worked in the film. I mean, I got to give them credit for that. That was that was bravo. OK, I'm working in that that story element. Oh, that reminds me, too. So they really emblazoned William Moulton Marston's name all over this fucking thing, which I don't exactly know why that's so important to them now that he gets so much credit as to where, you know, before, I mean, yes, nobody, nobody really knew, you know, that again, that's a whole other history that would take an hour to describe. There's whole books on it. Um, but it is, I mean, they keep bashing his name out there, which I just find to be kind of strange. And I don't exactly understand what, you know, what, what their logic is around that. Unless Patty Jenkins is somehow a huge, you know, fan of disc theory, uh, you know, in BDSM, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, <laughs> sorry, I think I got my letters confused. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't get what they're, you know, why they, I mean, cause they really, really pushed. It. I've never seen a creator's name pushed so hard, uh, on a film that it does. It comes off very strange. So unfortunately this movie did not do anything to help the DCEU. Uh, you know, it, it, it really didn't. Um, I know there are great movies. There, there are great movies made in the, the DCEU. Uh, I think that, Man of Steel was fantastic. Aquaman was insane in all the good ways. I mean, just insane. Uh, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League. We'll talk about that uh, later. Uh, you know, Batman v Superman. There's a remastered version of that out there now. Uh, and I don't just mean the the ultimate edition. I mean, there's a whole other like remastered edition that's official that has that weird new, uh, you know, IMAX ratio to it. Right. Um We'll get to that. It's point being is that there's good movies there. Yeah. The original justice league, no doubt sucked ass horrible wonder woman, 2017 though. Awesome. So there's good movies here and it's a shame that it, it's, it's just so touch and go, you know, not that I, I mean, and I'd rather it be touch and go than have it be like Marvel where everything is just blase, you know, everything's just, eh, all right, it's good enough. Eh, you know? And so, and because most people's lives are so, you know, boring, um, that, that those Marvel movies somehow seem exciting to them, even though they're boring, but I, so I'd rather them be like, you know, okay, yeah, this movie's really bad, but this one's great. than everything being a baseline shitty, you know, or a baseline, just good enough baseline mediocre. Maybe that's what I'll call Marvel comics. Now mediocre, uh, mediocre comics. And Hey, before you think I'm playing favorites, DC comics today sucks. Just said it. They, they suck, but DC comics movies, especially like I said, boy, if you want to see some great comic book movies, I've said this over and over again, over the years, go watch the DC animated films. I can think of three or four out of like the almost 100 that they've made in the past 20 years. Um, I, I can think of three or four that, that were either like just okay or horrible, but that's three or four out of so many. You just have, you have such a great chance of popping one of those in and having an amazing time in doing so. I mean, they're that good. Uh, in fact, I, I just caught Batman hush. Um, and th that was fuck. That was amazing. I mean, really well done how they pulled that off. Um, so, you know, there are good comic book or great comic book movies out there. It's just a lot of times the ones in theaters aren't those. They're not the ones. So I'm going to leave this review at that. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that I could say about the film, but I think I got the point across uh, that it just didn't deliver on everything about it. And, and it had all the time in the world to do so. I just, I don't know some of the choices they made. I don't know what they were thinking. And Jeff Johns, again, if you get, if you do have access to the Blu-ray or some of the making specials, listen to like the shit that comes out of Jeff Johns' mouth. Because it really tells you like how these studios think about comic book movies. They are not interested in taking advantage of the stories and even the characters that made these comic runs so great. And not only that, but I mean, you know, they, they really, yeah, just if you're a comic book fan, you know, so many of these movies just aren't made for you. If they are, it's by sheer luck you know, of the fact that like Zack Snyder is a fan and has cachet, you know, so he can make man of steel or that Aquaman can of all things get made. Uh, I mean, 
Aquaman again is, is a miracle in itself because he's always been a, you know, a second fiddle player as well. Um, even though boy, there's been some great runs with that comic. I, I, I will admit that, especially in the nineties, but whatever, that's it for, you know, I'll be back with more sovereign at the movies. I've got plenty of films uh, to talk about as late, including, I mean, recent releases. It's not just going to be me talking about movies from the past or something like that. I, I think it's fun to talk about the fresh stuff. Uh, certainly we will get in a review of Zack Snyder's four hour epic. <laughs> I'm not saying epic necessarily because it's good, but well, you got to wait till I talk about it to know whether I thought it was good or bad, but that's coming a lot more sovereign tech to come your way. So much fun stuff. I will see all of you woo, on the other side.